Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 20. And uh, we've been kind of doing our own uh, Advent calendar with this, this passage a little bit. We've been adding a couple verses each week. And now, finally, the Sunday before Christmas, we have the whole passage uh, uh, to, to reflect on. So uh, Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 20. Hear now the word of our Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lying of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God. It finds its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Got ahead of myself somehow. Who is the coolest person you know in real life? Besides me, of course, but like who, you know, I, I, some of you probably grew up uh, uh, watching like the Fonz on TV, um, uh, uh, but but I, I'm talking about in, in the flesh, in person, who is the coolest person you have ever met in real life? Maybe think back to when uh, you were uh, a teenager. Who was the grooviest, hippest cat around? I know who it was for me. Um, it, was, uh, it was a guy named Richie Jordan. Um, uh, Richie and Genia were uh, new to our church. They were this, this young couple. They, they, had a, they had a baby, and uh, they helped out with the youth group. 
And, um, and as a teenager, I just thought Richie was the coolest guy ever. Uh, he was in a band. Uh, he always wore this leather jacket, and he had what was really cool in the late 90s. He had these bongo sunglasses that kind of wrapped around and an ear piercing. Right? He always had like the latest, like the coolest band's uh, t-shirt he was always wearing. And to, to me, he was just the coolest guy I ever met. He was one of those people that like when you spent time with him, you felt cool by proximity, right? Like, like there was something of his aura was, was rubbing off on you. The coolest guy, Richie. And so when uh, we teenagers heard that Richie was going to give the sermon one Sunday morning, we decided to make sure we were there because it was going to be the coolest sermon that ever happened. We just knew it, right? Because uh, maybe he'll bring his band, maybe he'll play his electric guitar, who knows, right? Uh, but, but if Richie's there, he's giving the sermon, it's going to be cool. And so when I showed up on Sunday morning and, uh, and, and saw Richie looking so uncool, um, I, 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 I was kind of phased by that. You know, he, he wasn't wearing his usual leather jacket and, and, and piercing, right? He was actually wearing this ill-figging brown suit. And, uh, and, and, but, but more than that, you know, Richie usually sort of uh, carried himself like, like you know, like, like everything was cool, like, like nothing got to him, but, but I saw him pale and sweating, and his wife told us, well, you know, he has been up uh, half the night pacing. Um, he was debating whether he was going to even show up today. Um, uh, it's it, 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 it just so jarring to see someone that I thought of as so cool um, uh, reduced to a nervous mess. Like a thought of sharing his story. So what does all that have to do with the nativity? the shepherds and the angels and, and, and the good news of the newborn king. Well, someone has to share that good news, don't they? Someone has to go out into the world and share the story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And in our passage this morning, we get two examples of how people share or don't share that story. The first example is the shepherds, right? They go out immediately, right? And, and the surrounding countryside, and they're telling everyone uh, about the newborn king, everyone who would listen. And, and we're told that all who heard it were amazed. This is a refrain throughout the Gospel of Luke. Uh, every time something uh, wonderful happens, something new happens, every time Jesus uh, uh, does something extraordinary, we're told that all who heard about it we're amazed. When Jesus uh, uh, gets done preaching for the first time, uh, we're, we're told that, that everyone who heard it, they were amazed because he preached with such authority. When Jesus heals the paralytic, remember, uh, he, he's, he's been paralyzed since birth. He's lying on his mat, and Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And the man stands up, and he rolls up his mat, and he begins to walk home. We're told all who heard about it were amazed. On a Friday, Jesus is crucified. Three days later, he is risen. And Mary Magdalene sees it and she rushes and she tells the disciples. When they hear about it, 
They are amazed. So the shepherds are out in the countryside boldly witnessing, boldly telling people uh, 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 of this good news of what the newborn king is here and what God is doing through him. And all who hear it are amazed. But Mary is silent. Mary is keeping it to herself. I don't don't know about you, but whenever we're reading this passage and and we get to this line uh, that says, um, uh, Mary uh, treasured these things and she pondered them in her heart. I always just do this kind of, like, that's nice, isn't it? In fact, I I thought that was the sermon I was going to share with you this morning, was that you need to treasure things and ponder them in your heart, right? And I was just going to say, soak it all in this week. That, that was going to be my sermon. But then a funny thing happened. I began studying the passage and kind of learning some of the Greek behind it, and I realized that we're getting that sentence wrong. A better translation of that sentence would be that she kept these things to herself and debated them in her own mind. See, see we're told that what Mary does is in contrast to what the shepherds do. The shepherds go out and they tell everybody, but Mary kept these things to herself. And she debated them in her own mind. What's she debating? She's debating whether it's true, whether it happened. I don't think so, right? She's had her own experience of an angel. She probably believes in angels now. She's debating maybe the meaning of it all. Perhaps, but if you go back a chapter and you read the Magnificat, you read uh, uh, Mary's uh, beautiful psalm of praise after, after finding out that she's going to be responsible for bearing the Messiah into the world. You get the picture from this psalm that, that Mary understands all the ramifications. She knows what the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to do. I think she's debating whether to share her story or not. I think she's debating whether she should tell others or not. See, um, later in the chapter, uh, we get this phrase again. It's after, uh, they've taken, uh, it's after they've taken Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, and, uh, and this man named Simeon, who has been uh, waiting for the uh, redemption of Israel, he, he, he comes up to Mary and Joseph and, and begins to prophesy, and, and, and this woman Anna begins to prophesy too, and they proclaim that he's the Messiah. And then after that, um, uh, 12 years later, they, they lose Jesus, remember? Uh, they're, they're, they're going away from Passover, and, and the little scamp gets off uh, uh, on his own, and so they have to go back to Jerusalem. They're, they're searching the city, and they finally find him in the temple. And he, he's teaching all the people in the temple, and they're all amazed, by the way. And then Jesus looks up at his parents and says, uh, and he says, remember, um, uh, uh, did you not expect to find me in my father's house? And we're told again Jesus, uh, that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. She kept these things to herself and debated them 
in her own mind. See, I think Luke is trying to explain uh, to us a mystery in the gospel. And the mystery is this. How come no one in Jesus' hometown knew who he was? Right? Because just a, a chapter or two later, Jesus is going to go back to Nazareth and he's going to pro- read from the Isaiah scroll and he's going to proclaim and everyone's hearing that he is the Messiah. And then everyone, uh, all the people he's grown up with are going to say, what? Wait a minute. Isn't this Mary and Joseph boy? What's this Messiah talk? We grew up with that boy. How come we've never heard anything about this up until now? Well, this whole time, Mary's been debating. She's been debating, is she going to share everything she knows about Jesus, or is she going to keep it to herself? See, the shepherds respond with boldness. They go out and they spread the word. And all who hear it are amazed. But Mary keeps it to herself. She debates for some 30 years, whether and how she should share. I wonder if that sounds familiar to anyone. I wonder if there's someone here that has a story to tell, that they have uh, some good news of, of something transformative that Jesus has done in their life, a treasure stored up in their heart, and they're still debating still pondering, still wondering if they should let it out. I know for a fact some of you do. You've told me some amazing stories about what God has done in your life. And you've shared with me your hesitancy about sharing it with others. Maybe you're afraid of people's reaction. Maybe there's a part of that story that, that, that gets to um, who you were before and, and, and it's kind of dark and you're kind of embarrassed by it or, or, or maybe you think it, it, it will cast you in a different light and, and you're, just a, you're just afraid to share that part of your story. Maybe you're afraid of that pulpit. I, 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 I know I've talked to some of you that say, hey, you know, um, I, I can get up in a room full of 100 people and talk, but there's something about getting up in front of the church and talking that scares me to death. And, you know, if, if, if I agree to tell my story and stand up in front of people and, and testify, that, that'll mean getting behind that pulpit. I get it. I'm afraid of that pulpit, too. That's why I'm down here. Right? <laughs> Every time I get behind there, I get all stiff and wooden and wobbly and, 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 and my, my mouth gets dry. And so I just stay down here with you all. Um, if the bishop ever visits, we'll let her use the pulpit. Maybe you worry your story's not good enough. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but you, you know, I, I, I've heard testimonies before that have blown my socks off. Right. They're these like, um, you know, these rock bottom sort of, you know, I was uh, I, I, I was uh, living on the streets, licking peanut butter off the sidewalk. And then there was this shaft of light and I heard God's voice. And uh, and, and, and now my hair has grown back and, and my teeth are pearly white and I'm a missionary in Tim- Timbuktu. Right. You've all heard those stories and, and been blown away by them. And then you look at your own story and say, well, I, I don't have anything like that to share. Maybe you worry your story 
isn't enough. But God has done something wonderful in your life. You have a story that only you can tell. But you're keeping it to yourself. Another word for treasuring is hoarding. You're hoarding your story. And you're debating it. Have been for years. Or maybe, like Mary, it's just not time yet. Right? The Bible doesn't exactly pass judgment on Mary. The Bible doesn't say, and Mary didn't tell anyone, and boy, she should have. Right? It doesn't say that. Uh, 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 we're led to believe that this, was, uh, that, that this was a secret whose time had just not come yet. That God was still preparing the ground. Mary's got all kinds of reasons not to tell this story, not the least of which is the danger that it poses, it poses to her son and all the people around him. Remember what happens when King Herod gets word that a newborn king has been born in Jerusalem. Children die. Right? Maybe they just don't need that kind of heat yet. Also, we know that, that Jesus is still growing, that he grows in wisdom and stature. Jesus, even though he's the son of God, has to be guided along, right? He has to have parents that, 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 that teach him values and, and, and help him grow in the right way. And, and maybe he just can't do that if, 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 if he's worshipped from the day he's born, right? If, if every birthday is, 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 is a pagan uh, festival to a deity, Maybe Jesus isn't ready yet for the secret to be out. Maybe she decides it's Jesus' story to tell. In the very early parts of the gospel, whenever Jesus heals someone, he says, Shh, not yet, don't tell anyone. This is not time yet. But we do know this. There comes a day when Mary can't stand it any longer. She's been debating for years and years and years. Some, some 30 years she, she, she's kept this to herself. And one day it just becomes too much. Remember, uh, uh, they're at this wedding in Cana, right? And, uh, and, and the most tragic thing happens that, that can happen at any party. They run out of booze, right? And so uh, they're all looking around and they're saying, uh, saying, okay, so is the party over? Is the wedding over? We're out of wine here. And Mary knows that Jesus can do something. And she sits there, sits there, shakes, shakes, shakes. And then finally, finally, she says, all right, you go do something. You go do something. Do something about this, Jesus. Pushes him into the spotlight. And Jesus turns around and says, woman, my time has not yet come. Now, if I had ever called my mother woman... I would have been grounded from everything but breathing until I was 50, right? But Jesus apparently can get away with these things, right? He says, woman, my time has not yet come. But Mary's time has come, right? She's done debating. She's done waiting for her son to be ready. And she pushes him out into the spotlight. And she says to the wait staff, do whatever he tells you to do. And the result is transformative. The result is transformative. 
water turns into wine. Maybe like Mary, it's not your time yet. Maybe God is still uh, preparing the ground, laying the groundwork, and when the perfect time comes along, you'll be ready to tell your story. Maybe. Or maybe you're just stalling. Maybe the perfect time has come around a couple of times and you're still waiting. Whatever the case, I want you to understand this. Your story is a gift. It is a gift given to you by God. And it is a story that no one else can tell. I love to tell stories, but I can't tell your story. And it's a gift that's meant to be shared because here's what happens. When you tell your story to others, there, there's always someone that, that, that is in what you have been through. And when they, when they see the lights come shining through the cracks in you, they realize that the light can come shining through the cracks in them. They, they, they realize that, 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 their, that their moment that they are in is not the end. That there is more to the story. Your story is a gift waiting to be shared with others. And it has transformative power. There is someone that needs to hear what you've got to say. It can change their life in a way nothing else can. There's someone that's not going to believe a thing about Jesus from me, but who will believe it from you. Your story is a gift. So let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, this is not one of those sermons that's going to end with kind of a vague call to, to go out there and share your story and then I'm not going to follow up on it, right? This, is, this, this sermon ends with action steps, okay? Um, one of the things I miss most about youth ministry is this thing we used to do at our church called Unite. And it was this youth-led worship service. We had it once a month. We had a youth praise band that would play all the songs. And then, uh, and then one, of the, uh, one of the teenagers would deliver the message. And one of the things I miss most is preparing that teenager, whoever it was that month that was going to deliver the message. I had this group called the Youth Leadership Team. And it was one of my requirements of them that, that uh, to be on the Youth Leadership Team, at least once you've got to deliver the message. And there were kids that, you know, they were scared. They, they didn't want to do it. It wasn't them. I said, that's fine. You do it once. You never have to do it again. But it's something everyone should do once. And I really miss them coming into my office with their, uh, some of them with a the big stack of index cards, some of them with just a vague idea out there, you know, in the heavens somewhere. But, but, but sitting down with them and helping them, uh, helping them uh, uh, shape their message and, and, and shape their story. I miss that. I miss that, that coaching. So why should I have to stop? Just because I'm in a room full of grown-ups. Huh? So here's the thing. I'm going on strike. Um, I, I, I made this decision. I'm going on strike. Every fifth Sunday, 
I get to hear from uh, from from all of my uh, 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 you know fellow ministers, and they say, "Well, yeah, fifth Sunday, I get off." I'm like, "I don't get off fifth Sunday," so I'm going on strike. Fifth Sunday, I'll be here. I'll, I'll lead the worship service, all of that stuff. But when it comes message time, one of you is going to share. One of you is going to share. We're going to do that every fifth Sunday. Because I believe you've got something in you that needs out. And here's how we're going to do it. We'll have a class. Um, uh, we'll have a class, maybe an hour and a half, pizza after church. And, uh, and I'll talk to you about, uh, about um, uh, finding your story. If you're not sure you have a story, I'll talk to you about, uh, about, about sharing your story. Right? I'm not just going to push you into the deep end. We'll do a class. If you sign up for a fifth Sunday, then, uh, then I'll coach you. Uh, if you want coaching, I'll, I'll come alongside you and help you uh, turn those index cards into something or that idea into something. But fifth Sundays, I'm sitting down. One of you all is standing up. It's not just because I'm lazy. It's because I believe that every person in here who has been touched by Jesus Christ has a story to tell about it. It's a story that needs to be heard. And it's time to stop debating. And it's time to start sharing. I remember it like it was yesterday. All of us uh, uh, teenagers sitting on that front pew uh, because Richie, the coolest guy I had ever known, was getting ready to preach. It was still electric. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Is he going to pull out that electric guitar? And I'll never forget uh, uh, Richie gigging up to the pulpit, um, just sort of, uh, you, you know, just pausing for a second, getting his, his courage. And I'll never forget how he started. He said, A lot of you know me. My name's Richie. And uh, some of you know me from Sunday school. Some of you know me from the youth group. But there's something you don't know about me. Because I've not told anyone outside of my family. And then he said, my name is Richie Jordan, and I'm a drug addict. Then he began to share his story. He began to share about how, uh, how he was a pharmacist and, um, and, and he always prescribed uh, 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 painkiller prescriptions for other people. And then he had a back surgery. He got in the habit of, 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 of prescribing it for himself, writing his own prescriptions. It's a big no-no. He wound up losing his job, but he was so addicted to painkillers that he didn't even care. But his wife loved him through all of that. But when she found out she was pregnant, she gave him an ultimatum. You have nine months to get clean. With Jesus' help, he did. With the help of his friends and family and his church, with the help of his NA group, 
He did. He turned his life around. And he told us all sitting there, I need you to know about this because we're starting a, a recovery ministry here and I'm going to be in charge of it. You need to know this about me. I'll never forget how he ended it either. He said, I'm Richie Jordan and I'm a drug addict. That's not the most true thing about me. The most true thing about me is this. I'm Richie Jordan, and I'm a child of God. He sat down, you could hear a pin drop. Then someone in the back clapped. And a couple more, soon we were all clapping, soon we were all on our feet. I think it's fair to say that that day, all who heard it were amazed. God still amazes, doesn't he? You know he does. I know you know he does. Because like Mary, like the shepherds, like Richie, you have a story to tell. You have good news of Jesus' transformative power treasured up in your heart. And I can't wait to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand and sing with me our closing hymn, number 246, Joy to the World.